0: Welcome to another episode of The Chef Educator, the show that provides and discusses various teaching tools, tips, and techniques for the culinary, hospitality, and pesky arts educator. And now, coming to you through the airways from Palm Beach County, Florida, here is your host, doctor, professor, and chef, Mr. Colin Roach. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 14 of The Chef Educator podcast. My name is Dr. Colin Roach, and I am your host. Today's episode is titled, Writing Your Teaching Philosophy. Now, before we start on today's topic, I want to give you a little background information on the podcast for our new listeners. The Chef Educator Podcast was created to be a comprehensive resource for both new and seasoned culinary, baking and pastry, and hospitality teachers, instructors, and faculty at both secondary and post-secondary educational institutions. Our hope is to offer a collection of practical and effective teaching, tools, tips, and techniques that we can all use in our classrooms and or labs. And if this is of interest, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast for free on your favorite podcast app. Of course, you can always listen to every episode on the show's website at www.chefeducator.com. That's Chef Educator.com. Also, if you like this show or this episode, why not show your support by buying us a cup or two of coffee to help defray some of the out-of-pocket expenses? You can very easily do that by going to www.BuyMeACoffee.com slash ChefRoach. That's BuyMeACoffee, all one word, .com slash Chef Roach, R O C H E. Individuals can also show their support through Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Dr. Professor Chef. That's www.patreon.com slash Dr. Professor Chef. We truly appreciate any help or support you can provide. If you contribute just the price of a cup of coffee a week, you will be helping to support the hosting, purchasing, creation, and production of our episodes and shows that we produce and give away for free. And any companies or businesses out there who are interested in sponsoring the podcast or advertising with us, please contact us through email at Network at gmail.com. That's Network at gmail.com. And I will put all of these links into the show notes description section of this episode as well, so you can always find them there. Okay, with that said, let's jump right into today's topic on writing your teaching philosophy. I want to start by defining it for you, uh, what they usually contain and their format, and then sharing how you can begin to write or update yours. At the end, I am also going to provide you with a link where you can get a free copy of the ebook I use when I do workshops and classes on this topic. So, what exactly is a teaching philosophy? Also known as educational philosophy, a teaching statement, a philosophy of education, a philosophy of teaching, a learning and teaching philosophy, and a slew of other names. Well, a teaching philosophy is a self reflective statement of your beliefs about teaching and learning. In addition to general comments, your teaching philosophy should discuss how you put your beliefs into practice by including. Concrete examples of what you do or anticipate doing in your classroom. Defining, explaining, and clarifying your educational philosophy will enhance your ability to align it with your teaching practice. Teaching philosophies are also written in the narrative first-person approach and are typically between one and two pages in length or about a thousand words. Your teaching philosophy is reflective and personal, where you discuss your goals for your students, the methods you'll use to achieve those goals, and the assessments you use to find out if students have met your expectations. They also provide the opportunity to explain your specific disciplinary context, provide specific examples of your practice, while showcasing your strengths and accomplishments. They are written for a particular audience. And are used in job applications, promotions, uh, grant submissions, course syllabi, uh, personal websites, web pages. One audience is search committees, since teaching philosophies are increasingly becoming part of the academic job search dossier. And the second audience is yourself, your colleagues, and your students. And since I am about to enter the job market because of the closure next year of the Johnson and Wales campus that I work at, I have recently had to dust mine off. But I also have versions of my teaching philosophy posted to our learning management systems so that both current and future students of mine can read it before taking a class with me. I also have another version that I use strictly for my online classes that is slightly different and more tailored to online learning. So you can see, a teaching philosophy has many uses and different audiences. The teaching philosophy also has or serves a formative purpose because it is a document that helps the author of it, you, reflect on it to improve your teaching. Therefore, you must develop and write your own teaching philosophy. To be of any use, your philosophy must be aligned with your values and beliefs, not someone else's, not your school's, and not what you think others want to hear. This is why it is important to identify what you value and believe as one of the first steps, which we're going to be talking about shortly. So though you may look at others teaching philosophies for ideas and inspiration, you would not adopt someone else's philosophy outright even if you can completely agree with what they're saying. Teaching philosophies are original work, just like anything else you or someone else writes. Copying others' philosophies would actually be plagiarism. Besides, a well-written philosophy should be rooted in your own practices and illuminated by specific examples from your own work. No one else has had exactly your experiences in the classroom. And with that said, there is no such thing as a correct philosophy either. Effective teachers and people of good character often have differing educational philosophies. And having faculty with different teaching philosophies is actually a good thing and can actually strengthen a school. Differing educational philosophies within an educational setting is not a sign of dysfunction. Philosophical differences within the ranks is a source of strength. As long as colleagues listen and respect philosophical differences, these differences can provide a variety of perspectives on curriculum, school issues, and other learning experiences. And having faculty with different teaching philosophies is also good because it leads to a continued reflection, dialogue, and refinement by the faculty members. And whether it be a political philosophy, religious philosophy, or educational philosophy, forcing one's philosophy on another is the ultimate form of domination and control, which are not traits we aspire in a democratic society. So, write your own, be truthful, and don't worry about what others might think. So, how does one begin? Well, starting a teaching philosophy can be a difficult task, but it doesn't have to be. I believe we should approach our teaching philosophies like we would a lesson plan where we start with an objective and then everything that follows should be to support or reach that objective. In other words, everything that follows your teaching philosophy should support or be in alignment with your philosophy. This enables you to teach from your authentic self and when teaching from your philosophical objectives, teaching will be effective and effortless. And keep in mind that the teaching philosophy is a document in progress. As your teaching changes and your professional identity grows, your teaching philosophy will also change and grow. And that means you will want to revisit it periodically and rewrite it as your beliefs and experiences progress and change. In other words, teaching philosophies evolve and change over time as a result of experience and proficiency, uh, interaction with others, reflection, and even new knowledge and new skills. And this is good. If you believe the same things in the same sort of ways that you did five or ten years ago, you have not grown. Even with the most strongly held beliefs, you will still believe them, but You believe more about them. You'll believe them in different levels or you'll believe them in different ways as you continue to grow. And if you are learning and evolving, then your teaching philosophy will continue to grow and evolve throughout your career as well. Now, beginning the teaching philosophy is often the hardest part of writing one. The motivations behind the decisions we make in the classroom can be surprisingly elusive when we try to put them on paper. And there is no single approach that will work for all writers. But there are three major, let's call them strategies that people often choose from when they get started. The first is by thinking about the big questions of teaching to help you articulate your philosophy. What motivates me to learn about this subject, or what do I expect to be the outcomes of my teaching, or how do I know when I've taught successfully? And in workshops and seminars that I have given to faculty and to my students, I have found that some prefer to approach a statement by thinking about more concrete and manageable fragments of teaching that can then be assembled into like a holistic essay. Therefore, the second approach is to use questions like these that are designed to get you started. They would be, why do I teach? Or, what do you believe or value about teaching and student learning? Or, if you had to choose a metaphor for teaching and learning, what would it be? How does your identity and background, as well as your students' identities and backgrounds, affect teaching and learning in your classes? What is your approach to evaluating and assessing students? Lastly, some faculty and students find it most useful to begin by simply looking at examples of other philosophies. When looking at other philosophies, you will likely note considerable variations, both in terms of content and format, and you will likely find some approaches that resonate with you. Then, using those as a guide or a framework, you can create yours with that inspiration. So what should a teaching philosophy statement include? Well, your teaching philosophy should reflect your personal values and the needs of your students and your department. To do that, you will want to address these four primary questions. Number one, to what is the end? As just mentioned, I approach the teaching philosophy as I would a lesson plan, and I use backwards design principles when creating it. Therefore, it is important to start by describing where you want to end. In other words, what are your objectives as a teacher? The rest of your philosophy statement should support these objectives, which should be achievable and relevant to your teaching responsibilities. And avoid vague or overly grandiose statements. On the other hand, you will want to demonstrate that you strive for more than you know, basic mediocrity or you know, basic nuts and bolts of transference of facts and knowledge like rote memorization. And you would certainly want your students to learn the fundamental content of the courses you teach. But beyond that, do you hope to foster critical thinking, uh, facilitate the acquisition of lifelong learning skills, prepare students to function effectively in an information economy, or maybe develop problem-solving strategies? What is your role in orienting students to a discipline, to what it means to be an educated person in your field? How do you delineate your areas of responsibility as compared to your students' responsibilities? And in what specific ways do you want to improve the education of students in your field? Are there discussions in academic journals or in professional organizations about shortcomings in the education of students today, or maybe unmet needs in the discipline? And do you have ideas on how to address those shortcomings and needs? These are all questions that will require some thought, and you will probably benefit from discussing them with other faculty in your school or department. Some people can sit down and bang out a paragraph or two in a short time, but most of us become more thoughtful about the big questions when we bounce them off our colleagues and we consider their responses, you know, we reevaluate our positions and revise and talk some more. Your objectives as a teacher are the most important parts of your teaching philosophy, and you should take some time with them. And as mentioned, if you take it seriously, you'll probably come back to your teaching philosophy to revise or add to it as you progress in your career. Think of it as a work in progress. And number two, by what means? When you have a clear idea about your teaching objectives, you can discuss methods that you use to achieve or work towards those objectives. Here is where you can display your knowledge of learning theory, cognitive development, curriculum design. You'll want to explain specific strategies and techniques and exercises and include both what you have used in the past and are planning for future courses. You'll want to tie these directly to your teaching objectives and discuss how each approach is designed for that purpose. For example, discuss how you make decisions about content, resources, and methods. If you include a field trip, what are your learning objectives? If you assemble a collection of readings, how did you decide what to include in those readings? How do you decide whether to use collaborative or individual projects? Do you use active learning or student-centered learning principles? And if so, why? Relate these decisions and methods to the kinds of classes you teach. Are they large lecture halls, small discussions? Are they culinary labs? And make connections to your course objectives. Again, relate your methods to even national level needs for teaching in your discipline whenever possible. If you've developed instructional material that has been or could be disseminated, be sure to discuss them. If you have designed or are planning innovative activities, describe how they address specific teaching objectives. Have you presented a paper or a workshop at a professional conference related to your teaching methods? include that for example i use the flipped classroom in many of my classes especially those that have to do with math and i authored research papers on this topic which i shared with others at in-house faculty meetings as well as at conferences the third is to what degree you will need to discuss how you intend to measure your effectiveness of achieving the objectives and methods you have outlined because your objectives are most likely related to student learning Then, you will probably use measures of student outcomes to reflect your efforts, rather than how many chapters you can cover from the textbook. Student evaluations are always a touchy subject among teachers, but in large part, that is because teachers have not devised their own assessment methods. Most of us are obligated to use standardized evaluation forms from our administration, our schools. But that does not prevent us from developing other means that are more directly related to our specific goals and objectives. Teachers who develop their own evaluations usually get more relevant feedback as well. But in addition, they usually get more positive feedback as well because they are asking the students to reflect on the most important aspects of their course, not something from a form generically applied to all faculty or all classes. In my classes, I often use early course evaluations and or mid-semester course evaluations. And for those of you listening that have a copy of the book I co-authored titled Culinary Educators Teaching Tools and Tips, you can see an example of these in chapter 8 and pages 86 through 89. These are the ones I actually use in my classes. And if you don't have the book yet, but are interested, you can find it through the publisher, Kendall Hunt. Go on their website, or just go to my website, which is chefroach.com, R-O-C-H-E, chefroach.com, all one word, and click on the Books and Articles tab up at the top bar there, and you'll see the book right there and access links to get to it. And number four is why. Here is where you can be a bit grand. What, to you, are the great and wonderful rewards of teaching? Why is teaching important? How do you want to make the world, or at least higher education, or high schools, or secondary schools better? When you are overworked and feel undervalued, to what ideals do you return in order to rejuvenate yourself and inspire your students? Those are the things you want to capture. How do you want to make a difference in the lives of your students? That's what you want to put in there. Now, the four primary questions we just discussed are a great starting place. However, to be of use, your teaching philosophy will also need to be designed so that you can use it to guide and direct your thinking and teaching practice. Therefore, I recommend that you also think about how you would answer these questions. For example, what is the purpose of education? Why do schools exist in our society? What purpose do they serve? Why do our societies invest so much time and resources on educating and developing people? And how does this benefit society? And think about your goals and principles. Based on your defined purpose, what are some short and long-term goals? And based on your values, what are some guiding principles or things you believe to be true in regards to education, teaching, or learning? Here, you should prepare a set of propositions that will serve as a foundation for your beliefs or actions. And lastly, based on your philosophy and goals and beliefs and values, What are some action statements? What will you do or strive to do in your classroom? What might someone see if they came into your classroom? What do you aspire to do or to accomplish? What are some processes and practices that you will adopt? So as we just heard, a philosophy is a set of principles based on one's values and beliefs that are used to guide one's behavior. And even though your teaching philosophy may not be clearly defined yet, it is the basis for everything you do as a teacher. It guides your decision-making, it influences how you perceive and understand new information, and it determines your goals and beliefs. A teaching philosophy outlines what you believe to be the purpose of education, the role of students in education, and the role of the teacher. And as we just talked about, teaching philosophies address questions. Nancy Chisholm, the former director of faculty development at Ohio State University, who has authored numerous articles on the topic of teaching philosophies, suggests you try and answer these main questions in your teaching philosophy statement. They are, how do you believe people learn? How do you facilitate that learning? What goals do you have for your students? Why do you teach the way that you do? What do you do to implement your ideas about teaching and learning in the classroom? And are these things working? Do your students meet the goals? How do you know they're working? And what are your future goals for growth as a teacher? And once you fully and truthfully answer these questions and put them down on paper, you will have the draft of your teaching philosophy. And this is also why you will often hear that to teach from your philosophy is to teach with integrity. And that is because there is an integration of your personal core values and beliefs with your professional thoughts and actions. And I will also add that if you teach from your philosophy, you will never be wrong. Okay, at this point, you should be ready to begin to define and describe your teaching philosophy. Remember, a philosophy is a guiding set of principles based on your values and beliefs. It needs to give a clear and unique portrait of the author, you, as a teacher, while avoiding generic and empty philosophical statements about teaching. It sounds simple enough, but creating a standout teaching philosophy statement requires thought, care, and precision. So, as I just pointed out, a teaching philosophy is an honest expression of how you approach the complex work of being an educator. Accept the invitation that this task invites and use this opportunity to think through your track records, your plans, your ambitions in the classroom. While teaching philosophies are becoming an increasingly important part of the hiring and tenure processes, They are also effective exercises in helping one clearly and coherently conceptualize their approach to teaching and learning. So as you contemplate your teaching philosophy and how you approach educating students, review past syllabi, past student evaluations, peer evaluations, and any input you've amassed from department chairs, principals, supervisors, advisors, or mentors. And maybe meet with those whose input you value professionally. Invite the experts in your network to share the experiences they have had when preparing their teaching philosophies. And maybe ask if you could review their statements as a reference. And then once you have drafted your teaching philosophy, ask one or two trusted colleagues or mentors to review it and give you feedback as your document takes shape. Okay, so now let's get into the body of your teaching philosophy. When you're writing your teaching statement, streamline your focus to the educational dimensions of your academic background and career. Remember, it's a teaching statement, so focus on your teaching. That's your teaching philosophy, your teaching experiences, your training, your interests, and even successes or challenges. This is not a place to creatively sneak in information about your research or a recent grant or a new award or simply rehash information that's already included in parts of your application and use good examples and use your active voice and be in first person and avoid jargon and academia talk and maintain clarity and focus. Your goal is to be clear, honest, and authentic, and to focus on your work as an educator. And you can also tell it with data. Your teaching statement should express a clear, concrete narrative, and data helps you shape that story. Therefore, incorporate data wherever possible. Look at your past teaching evaluations. What's the average of your scores? How does it compare to the department or college mean score? What's the trend over time? Find ways to include these metrics in your statement. Don't overdo it, but mentioning a few illustrative scores adds to the document. And if you are writing or revising your teaching philosophy to be used as part of a job search, then do your homework. Learn about each institution that you are applying to. Learn about the culture, the mission, the vision, the values that drive the work that the institution undertakes. Think about how those might be fitting for the work you do and your educational philosophy. Different institutions will have different teaching cultures and therefore will value different types of teaching statements. For example, a research university and a community college may have different approaches to teaching, so the same You know, teaching philosophy statement is unlikely to appeal to both institutions. Instead, you should try to tailor your teaching philosophy to each individual institution and even department to which you are applying. The core is still the same, but you should tweak it. Tweak each teaching philosophy that you write to reflect the unique cultures of each institution to which you're applying. Also, current research shows that submitting an unsolicited teaching philosophy statement is viewed positively by most search committees. So, if you have one and they don't specifically ask for it, include it anyway with your CV, resume, application, letters of reference, put it in there. Now, a successful teaching statement is powerful, focused, and concise. Therefore, make it brief and succinct. Try to keep it to no more than two pages. Of course, a single statement can't capture all that you have to say about teaching or your pedagogy or how you've been evaluated over time. Therefore, identify the main points. Highlight enough of it to you know, share your insights about you as a teacher or instructor or professor. And then end it. Put a period there. Stop. You can leave the rest of it for the interview over the phone or through Zoom or on campus, whatever the case may be. Now, when I teach this topic to my students in the Introduction to Culinary Instruction class, they often ask, I have never taught before, so do I even have a teaching philosophy? And I always respond, of course you do. Every college student or graduate has a teaching philosophy, whether they realize it or not. Let's face it, you may not have any experience teaching or very little, However, you've been a student for a long time, and you've been in all types of classes, so you have opinions about teaching and learning and what you believe works and doesn't work. I then tell them that even if they don't have a lot of teaching experience, to instead think about the great teachers that they have had and what made them so effective, and to think about what they did that inspired you. I also try and have them focus on concrete questions as opposed to the abstract question of what's my philosophy, so that they don't get overwhelmed by the task at hand. As they prepare to write their teaching philosophies in my class, I ask them to break down that broad question into its component parts. I pose questions to them such as, what do you believe about teaching? What do you believe about learning? And why do you believe those things? How would that play out in your classroom if you were a teacher? How would your students' identity and backgrounds make a difference in how you teach? What do you think you would struggle with in terms of teaching and student learning? And how would you overcome those? These types of more concrete questions is often easier for them because they can wrap their minds around it, gets them thinking, and then I can help them decide on what they want to expand on. Another useful tip that I use with my students is to get them to think about what they don't like in a teacher. Reflecting on what you don't like can give you insights about what you do like, and that can help you to define your own teaching philosophy and goals. However, regardless of whether you have never taught before or have been teaching for years, a teaching philosophy isn't a laundry list of what you've done. It shouldn't be simply a rehash of your teaching past teaching history. I've had six semesters as an instructor and lecturer at the Culinary Institute of America, and I've taught Introduction to Dining Room twice. Well, you know what? Who cares? Maybe you taught them all poorly. How does the search committee or anyone else reading your teaching philosophy know how you taught those classes unless you state what you learned as an instructor or lecturer about effective teaching and how you're going to implement that. Don't focus so much on what courses you've taught, but on how it is you go about teaching. Don't make the mistake of rehashing what's already in your CV or resume. And don't make empty statements. Good statements and bad statements frequently start out the same with some broad philosophical declaration, but good ones anchor the general in something concrete, like an example that can be visualized anyone can talk about teaching in an idyllic sense therefore you need to give examples if you say you work to encourage collaboration in the classroom then explain how you do that or if you're a new teacher how would you do that it's easy to say i want to encourage collaboration in the classroom or i want to get students to think more critically and leave it at that but who doesn't want to do that empty statements are a dime a dozen For example, I bet the majority of the teaching philosophies out there include something along the lines of, I run a student-centered classroom. Well, duh, if you don't, there's something wrong with you. Therefore, do not use that phrase unless you plan to follow it up with what kinds of things you have students do and what specific teaching techniques you found successful. Otherwise, it sounds like you're just saying what you think people want to hear. And one way to avoid becoming mired in generalities is to share some insights about teaching in your particular field. For example, if you're applying for a job in an English department teaching literature, you might talk about why you think it's important for students to read literature or how you plan to teach them to interpret literature. Ground your teaching philosophy in your discipline. Describing your theoretical approach and or what kinds of exercises you assign students will make your statement more engaging. And remember, like everything else in your application, when you are applying for a job, your teaching philosophy is a writing sample. So make sure your statement is well written. It's a chance for you to demonstrate how articulate you are. Hiring committees, especially in the academic departments like English, are going to look very closely at your writing. And be careful not to sound as if you know all there is to know about teaching. Some applicants believe they won't be hired unless they already know everything, so they tend to glorify their successes and kind of present a picture of seamless perfection, which is, of course, unbelievable. Good teaching comes from years of trial and error, so a little humility is in order. Nobody is perfect, even after years of experience. And Search committees would rather read statements from candidates who talk about their mistakes along with a description of how they learn from those mistakes that help them become better teachers. That's what they're going to be looking for. Applicants also would be wise to avoid using superlatives unless they want to sound arrogant. It's much better to say, my student evaluations are consistently high than to say, my students say I'm the best teacher they've ever had. And usually a good idea not to use Latin quotations, as they often come across as pompous. And as we know, we already have enough pompous people in education. And search committees certainly don't want more pompous people coming to their school. Remember that teaching is about the students. New teachers often devote their statements to showing that they can be innovative that they can incorporate sophisticated concepts in a classroom, but they seldom mention how students reacted to those innovations and concepts. It's important to present a picture of yourself in a classroom with students. Otherwise, readers may ask, was this all about you or the students? And of course, when you mention your students, be sure to convey enthusiasm towards them, Don't talk about how flawed the students are, how their writing skills aren't as good as they should be, or how they don't attend class the way they should be, or that they're always on their cell phones, or anything like that. That's not the message you want to send to the readers of your teaching philosophy statement. Your role as a teacher is to ensure that students learn, no matter how flawed you think they might be. And lastly, be yourself. Readers of your teaching philosophy will know when you're exaggerating or boastful or being insincere. They want to hear your authentic voice rather than you know, some fake thing that you think they want to hear. In the end, what's going to make you credible is your truthful voice in your document. And maybe even it'll help the search committee seeing through that to bring you in for an interview, which could be your ultimate goal. And as already mentioned, once complete, get a second opinion. It's a good idea to ask other people to read your teaching philosophy statement. Show it to your mentors, other faculty members, peers. And if there's a center for teaching and learning on your campus, show it to someone in there as well. Let them all read it and then get back to you so that you can revise it. Then maybe right before you send it out, have one last look, have someone proofread it. Okay, so that's a lot of material, and if you would like a copy of the free ebook titled "Teaching Philosophy Workbook," which is what I use in my classes or when I facilitate a workshop teaching philosophy writing, go to this link: http: colon slash slash bitly b i t dot l y bitly slash chef workbook all one word. So it's bit period l y slash chef workbook bitly chef workbook and then once you write or update your teaching philosophy please shoot me an email with it i would love to see them well that is all the time we have for this episode of the chef educator Till we meet again keep learning keep teaching and keep cooking thanks for listening and bye bye the chef educator podcast is a proud member of the food media network and we hope you enjoyed the show and this episode your feedback and comments are always welcome and they help us in making the best show possible. So please let us know what you think. You can email your comments to foodmedianetwork at gmail.com All one word, foodmedianetwork at gmail.com Or even leave us a voicemail on our audience response hotline. That number is area code 207-835-1275 That's 207 207- 835 We would also appreciate if you'd share the podcast with everyone you know. And don't forget to buy us a coffee or two if you want to support the show and our efforts. Just go to www.buymeacoffee.com slash chefroach or through Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Dr. Professor Chef. It's Patreon, P A T R E O N. We truly appreciate any help and support you provide. Thank you in advance.